Guess what, guess what, guess what, guess what? You are listening to the 100th episode of the Things I Think About podcast. Yes, episode 100. How do I celebrate episode 100? Well, with a very special guest for a very interesting time. I'm speaking, of course, of Dr. Peter McCullough, who is an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist in academic medical practice in Dallas, Texas. He maintains an ABM certification in internal medicine and cardiovascular diseases. He practices both internal medicines, including the management of common infectious diseases, as well as the cardiovascular complications of both the viral infection and the injuries developing after the COVID-19 vaccine. He is uh, kind of a big deal. You've probably seen him on Fox News or some of the other news outlets that are out there uh, speaking about COVID-19 and how it impacts our society. Uh, Stay tuned. (laughs) Can't believe he's on my podcast. Stay tuned to hear what Dr. Peter McCullough has to say about COVID-19. Some of his answers uh, will surprise you. Jim Stroud fights to save America from the woke agenda by exposing the left and inspiring right turns with facts and informed opinions. Prepare yourself for intriguing interviews, political snark, and social commentary from a patriotic and conservative perspective. And it all starts in three, two, one. The Things I Think About podcast begins now. Hello, sir. Thank you for being a guest on the Things I Think About podcast. Tell us, who are you and what do you do? I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm an academic internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas, very much focused on the COVID-19 pandemic response and and been uh, delighted to uh, be a major contributor academically with um, U.S. Senate and uh, state Senate testimony and frequent contributor on Fox News and other major major media outlets. Indeed, indeed. I think that's when I first caught my first glimpse of you and I said, wow, we got to get this guy on the show. So thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, rapid fire questions for you, because uh, as we were going over what questions to ask you, we it was so much going on in the news. So let me just sort of toss out a few things at you. Now, uh, Joe Rogan's top of my list. Now, Joe Rogan, a famous podcaster, he was criticized by the left for taking ivermectin, but it, it worked for him. He, he said it himself that it worked for him. He took that along with a few other things. But my question is there, is there any scientific research to back up the claim that ivermectin works? Because I've seen the news quite a bit that it's a horse pill, literally, and that it's for horses and animals, uh, and that human beings are taking it as some sort of desperate move to, to get out of uh, COVID uh, reactions. What are your thoughts on all that, ivermectin? Uh, ivermectin is an FDA-approved drug. It's clinically indicated to treat uh, strongyloides, other parasitic infections. Uh, there are over 60 supportive studies for ivermectin, 31 randomized trials. Ivermectin strongly supported by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Frontline Critical Care Consortium, American Frontline Doctors, and the Truth for Health Foundation. So it's strongly supported in the early treatment of COVID-19. It's very evidence-based. The American Medical Association, uh, the FDA, and the CDC uh, really don't have any recommendations uh, whether to use or not use ivermectin. And so uh, recently, the AAPS sent the AMA a letter simply saying, listen, 
the treating doctors are going to use ivermectin. It's evidence-based approach. What Joe Rogan received is he received monoclonal antibodies, then ivermectin, prednisone in a sequence multi-drug approach. That's exactly what I drew up for America in my mm. seminal publications in August and in December of 2020, sequence multi-drug therapy for COVID-19. Former President Trump received it as well, recently Gover Governor Abbott. That's the way Americans should be treated with high-risk COVID-19, just how Joe, Joe, Joe Rogan got it, including ivermectin. And why is it that um, so many mainstream media outlets, CNN, MSNBC, and others are, are saying it's, it's crazy to go against that? I mean, I know they're not doctors, but that's what I hear so much from the left. And I even hear it from, uh, I think, Fauci as well, who said that he doesn't recommend it either. Why do you think that pushback is? Well, none of our government agency doctors are treating doctors. They're not licensed or competent in treating COVID-19 patients. And the doctor treating the patient is in a superior relationship, if you will, to the NIH, CDC, and FDA. Those government organizations and those staffers, uh, they serve the doctor and the patient, not vice versa. So the mm. doctor decides. And I think the comments by those officials who are there as public servants to serve doctors, they're in a sense uh, uh, subservient to us uh, in their role, uh, and their comments to the media uh, discouraging the use of ivermectin um, I believe those, uh, honestly, are going to cost American lives, and they're mm -hmm. irresponsible and they're reckless. When major organizations support early treatment for COVID-19, and doctors are doing it, uh, any individual who goes on the news and tries to confuse patients and tries to detract from them using a life-saving medicine, um, I think, honestly, I think that is uh, costing American lives and is grossly irresponsible. Could that same statement be applied to hydrochloroquine? When, I remember when, when Trump took it, this, or as soon as he mentioned it, it became evil just because he said it. Yep. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, hydroxychloroquine is supported by over 250 studies. Hmm. Now, these drugs are used, like, for instance, ivermectin's first line in Mexico now, first line in Japan, hydroxychloroquine's first line in Russia, Eastern Europe, uh, Greece, India, used in combination across various states of India, Brazil, et cetera. These are worldwide standards. And any government official or any major uh, media person who doesn't recognize the widespread use of these drugs and their role in COVID-19, again, I think is doing a disservice. They're confusing Americans. And I feel sorry for a senior citizen who would turn on the news and get, and get the idea not to take their ivermectin. They need that as part of a sequence multidrug treatment for COVID-19. I think it was a dark day when politics entered into the healthcare industry. I mean, maybe, it, maybe it's always been part of it, but I've never seen it at this level. Um, I'm looking now at two Food Drug Administration leaders, uh, Marianne Gruber and Phil Krause, who are leaders in, in the field. They stepped down recently, um, just as the government is pushing these booster shots and vaccines to children. It made me wonder, is the timing of their resignations or their retirements coincidental, do you think, or some type of protest to the booster shots that are just this politics in general? What, what do you think on there on that? I think they're very much a sign of what we call regulatory malfeasance or wrongdoing by those in position of authority. We're in a very busy regulatory cycle now. There's applications from various companies, vaccines, briefing booklets, uh, uh, sponsor materials, FDA briefing booklets, uh, public citizen, 
uh, FDA hearings. Uh, this is the last time that any one of these key people should be stepping down from their role as a vaccine regulator. Now, Dr. Gruber, she signed the letter that, of conditional approval to BioNTech for Camaretti. Now, at the August 23rd meeting, Pfizer was not approved. This is very important. Pfizer is mm. a product in the United States. This was not approved. They got a continuation of the EUA based on the legacy data before Delta. So they didn't consider any Delta variant data where the Pfizer vaccine doesn't cover data uh, Delta. They, they, they considered the old data. And so the signing of that letter for BioNTech for the German product, which is legally distinct and maybe medicinally distinct from Pfizer, uh, and then they walk out the door a week later, I think is a real sign that um, we have trouble with respect to these vaccines at the regulatory level. Wow, you said something really bombshell there for me now. If I'm hearing you correctly, let me make sure I'm hearing you correctly. So the Pfizer COVID vaccine, which, which I see in the media all the time, has been FDA approved, is not really an approved FDA drug? It's and, not approved. It's not approved. And I had a, a big segment on this on America Out Loud, the McCullough Report. You can uh, go there and, and see the details. We looked at the letters very carefully. Pfizer was not approved. It had a continuation of the emergency use authorization. Comirnaty, which is a product that doesn't exist yet, that got a conditional approval. That's from BioNTech, the German company, but they have to do a whole series of studies on myocarditis as a post-marketing commitment. So hmm. what came out of that meeting? That meeting was, again, uh, uh, in many ways fraudulent where there was no briefing booklet by the sponsors. There was no data to the FDA and FDA briefing booklet. There was no uh, advisory committee. Uh, it really was a closed door meeting based on legacy data to, in a sense, generate the talking point, I think, that the media jumped on that Pfizer was approved when indeed it wasn't. Hmm. How much influence does the pharmaceutical industry have in the mainstream media? I don't know. I do know this though. I think it's Fortune Magazine and at least one other confirmed that um, a typical uh, blockbuster drug generate a billion dollars in its first year. Wow. Uh, Pfizer's at Pfizer's at $33 billion. <laughs> Wow. Wow. So there's a lot of money in vaccines, which I sort of knew already, but wow, $33 billion, that's, a, that's a lot of money. Well, well, let me say one thing. America has been very good about taking these vaccines. Most of them mm. did patriotism. They didn't ask much about them. But we're eight months into the program, no vaccine report card. Wait a minute. There's three products. There is no way they are the same. There's no way. There must be a winner, there must be a loser, and there must be somebody in between. And for the FDA and CDC to uh, be stonewalling America on the vaccine performance data uh, is really creating a lot of tension. My patients contact me and say, Dr. McCall, I'm under an employer vaccine mandate. What's the best vaccine to take? And I said, well, the CDC holds the data. They won't tell us. Moderna's got 100 micrograms per dose. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pfizer's 30 micrograms of messenger RNA. They're very similar. 100 versus 30. That's a giant difference. Johnson & Johnson's a whole different mechanism with adenoviral uh, vector technology. Well, the bottom line is that our CDC and FDA should have been giving us a report card at least once a week, if not once a month, in terms of what vaccines are still holding. And very importantly, how can they be given safely? If they're withholding the information of which vaccines are, are most efficient, what does that tell you? Is that a, a, a situation of, of, of uh, reacting to politics? Is that a situation of reacting to money? Is it a situation of we just don't know? What do you think is the most likely scenario? Is it money, politics, or ignorance? 
I can't guess. I, I have to think that the CDC is way over their head. They have never had a major vaccine program in the United States. They've never done this before. The FDA has never done this before. There's no uh, typical regulatory functions. Uh, there's no data safety monitoring board, no external um, event committee, no human ethics committee. You know, I've chaired over two dozen high stakes data safety monitoring boards for big pharma device and for the NIH. They don't have anybody at my level of competence uh, looking over the program. And so really? I think it, no, I, I tell you, I know, I think it's a crisis of ineptitude. And they just think that they can just keep going saying, listen, take a shot. And Americans are more sophisticated than that. They're saying, listen, uh, they're seeing their loved ones get COVID. So patients who get vaccinated are getting COVID. And so the last thing is what Americans want to do is take a shot and still get COVID anyway. So our government needs to come forward with the report card on the COVID-19 vaccines. We deserve it. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. That's, that's very concerning because when, when people ask are the vaccines working, I, I see different reports. I read a lot. I see reports coming out of Israel about how people who have been highly vaccinated in Israel that's, they have a very good uh, vaccination rate, yet they have a very uh, high rate of people getting sick who have been vaccinated. I mean, how can you, how can you explain that? Well, Israel was the darling of the vaccine uh, world three months ago. They had almost no cases. They had everybody vaccinated who was eligible with Pfizer. Again, Pfizer, the weakest of the three vaccines. Now their curve, their epidemic curve with Delta is bigger than their pre-vaccination curve. So it's mm. obvious the vaccines did nothing with respect to population health. Part of this is because the vaccines don't cover Delta. So it's clearly been shown in a paper by, uh, by Fahrenheit, Bankata Krishnan, um, by uh, a variety of other authors that there's antigenic escape, that the bottom line is the Pfizer vaccine, the antibodies don't hit Delta enough to stop the virus. So we've got a problem here. We don't know about Moderna, but in a paper by Purinek and colleagues from Mayo Clinic, they had Pfizer at 42% protection, but they still had Moderna at 72% protection. So Moderna may have a, just a little different library of antibodies, clearly a lot more messenger RNA uh, in the system to stimulate the spike protein in the immunogenetic, uh, immunogenicity response. But the point is the vaccines aren't the same uh, because there's concerns over safety, our agencies need to come clean with Americans. We should be demanding data, differential data on how the vaccines are going. For example, the CDC has thousands of full vaccine uh, failure data on their website. You can go in there and just see how many people have been hospitalized or died that have been fully vaccinated. Well, why don't they run the report and figure out which vaccine is failing? Are they all Pfizer? Is it like Israel where it's all Pfizer that's failing, but Moderna and j, &J is holding out? We don't know. And uh, Americans are asking questions right now, very frustrated and fed up with the uh, idea that we're being stonewalled and just being mandated to take a vaccine, but they won't tell us which one's the best. And it's not that, not which ones are the best. They also tell us about new things around the horizon. I read recently that Merck and Pfizer both announced that they're going to start trials of oral antiviral medications targeting COVID-19. So instead of just getting the jab, you start popping a pill. And when you start popping the pills, you're popping them two or three times a day. And it, it just seems like so much uh, to trust without any hard data to go along with that. It makes you feel like it's all money driven. Well, you know what? They're 18 months too late on drugs. Like I said, we already have sequenced multi-drug therapy uh, in place. Over 61 trials of ivermectin, 250 trials of hydroxychloroquine. They got to climb a mountain with a new drug to get to the level of where those drugs are. Now, what they're trying is they're trying polymerase inhibitors. 
Mm. Well, we already have a polymerase inhibitor with remdesivir. It doesn't work too well in the hospital. There's another oral polymerase inhibitor called favipiravir, which is approved in Russia, uh, as well as uh, in some countries over in Asia. You know, it doesn't work too well either. The polymerase is not a very good target for a drug. So I think the, the Merck pill is going to bomb out. Uh, these have been a slow walked through Operation Warp Speed and they're not going to be anywhere near as good as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. One of the reasons why those drugs do so well is hydroxychloroquine works in three ways to fight the virus and ivermectin in two ways. With these new drugs, they're, they're basically have only a single mechanism of action. Well, you mentioned, we mentioned ivermectin, we mentioned hydrochloroquine. Um, there are other drugs out there like Regeneron and so forth that have been out there for, for years. Uh, I think hydrochloroquine has been out for what, 20 years or however long it's been? Okay. Hydroxychloroquine has been out for 65 years, ivermectin out for decades, but you mentioned the monoclonal antibodies, and I did want to mm, comment on them. They're, please. Working, they're working great. Regeneron is great. Uh, you know, we have 500 million pre-purchased doses of these high-risk seniors, high-risk adults. Uh, we get going on these every day. Uh, we have a chance to treat up to 12 days earlier, the better. And I tell you what, I've never lost a patient. I can get a monoclonal antibody infusion. And so we like to front these early. And I, I encourage all your high-risk seniors to make a few phone calls and figure out which urgent care freestanding ER hospital has uh, the monoclonal antibodies so they have a plan. And by the way, as a patient, you can call and arrange an infusion and the doctor on service there can simply give a verbal order and you get it. You mentioned a lot of treatments that will take care of COVID-19. That being said, why are we under emergency standards if there are drug treatments available to deal with COVID-19? I think there's plenty of uh, support uh, right now to go ahead and drop the emergency use authorization. Mm. Uh, for treatment, the emergency use authorization only exists for Regeneron now, uh, and then the other genre of monoclonal antibodies coming forward, GlaxoSmithKline, and then Lily's going to be back on the market with bamlanivimab and sotirivimab. But um, the uh, 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 emergency use authorization for the vaccines is going to have to stay in place because they have a separate indication. The vaccine's indication is to prevent COVID-19. The, the Lilly and Regeneron applications are in the active treatment of COVID-19. Is getting COVID-19 the death sentence that most people seem to think it is? I mean, what's the recovery rate? It is not. People under age 50 have a way less than 1% risk of hospitalization death. Children and young people, it's like a cold. Sometimes it's milder than a common cold. Last little three-year-old I saw, um, uh, she honestly, I think she had a runny nose and she had a little bit of wheezing for a day. And after that, she was fine. She was playing around. No treatment needed. We don't treat young children, no need to vaccinate them. The children don't spread it to their parents or grandparents. We have very good data on that. Um, so we leave children alone, no need for the vaccine. A vaccine is going to cause harm. And um, uh, with the adults, we have uh, very good outcomes. Delta is having a lower mortality than the prior versions. However, people are younger with Delta. I'm personally uh, impressed that Delta is a difficult, as, as an example, we're having to use more drugs in combination. We're seeing longer illnesses, and we are seeing some young people hospitalized. Sadly, I've had a few young people die with Delta, so I don't want to—I um, don't want to sugarcoat it. But when people get sick with Delta, if they have baseline obesity, diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, um, or uh, a cancer underlying cancer, get a hold of a treating doctor early. Let's get those drugs going, monoclonal antibodies, just like Joe Rogan, and then the sequence multi-drug therapy. Sure, there have been um, accounts of people suggesting that COVID shots shed spike proteins, and thus. Uh, putting people who are not vaccinated in, in some sort of 
danger or, or harm. Uh, what can non-vaccinated people do to protect themselves against those who are vaccinated, in your opinion? Or is that conspiracy? No, I think that's a minor risk. I think there's been enough cases and enough rationale. The Chinese have shown that whole virus gets into the all the secretions in the body, including um, oral and urogenital secretions. Uh, clinically, the most I've seen with somebody freshly vaccinated with really close contact, including uh, sexual intercourse, is having the recipient uh, who was unvaxxed, having that person develop shingles, as an example, a reactivation infection, uh, which would be something we'd expect. Um, most of these shedding events, the, the recipient feels a little sick for a day or two, and they're fine. I don't think it's a big deal, but I do think that somebody who's freshly vaccinated uh, ought to stay away from uh, the unvaccinated for about uh, four weeks. For people who regret getting the COVID shot, what can they do to protect themselves from major side effects, like maybe myocarditis, myocarditis or blood clot, things like that? I think individuals who have gotten the vaccine, if they have any uh, signs and symptoms of chest pain, extra heartbeat, shortness of breath, immediately see a doctor, get an EKG, troponin, uh, other studies, echocardiogram. We need to, this, this myocarditis is a big deal. We already have over 5,000 cases most of which were really symptomatic, people requiring hospitalization. We, we have to discover this earlier. I think there are some drugs we can apply in that case. I think new neurologic symptoms need an evaluation because uh, we know that the, uh, immune, the uh, vaccines get into the brain and the neurologic system. There's formal FDA warnings on neurologic injury with these uh, vaccines. And then uh, lastly, uh, problems with the blood system and immune system are of concern. Anybody who starts to have easy bruising uh, starts to have uh, bleeding from the gums, et cetera, uh, dark brown urine, needs to get uh, laboratories done. The vaccine injuries are numerous, 545,000 Americans certified to have vaccine injuries. The more people take vaccines, there's more there are going to be injuries. Once somebody's had a bad experience with the vaccine, uh, I think that's the point where they say no more. And uh, we can expect with each successive shot, including boosters. And by the way, the boosters are not adjusted to cover Delta. So it's just more of the same thing. Uh, here, the boosters are going to offer just more opportunity for uh, damage to the human body. What are the chances of someone surviving COVID if they don't get the shot, assuming they don't have any major uh, preconditions? It, it's way more than 99% survival. So they're going to do fine. Uh, again, if younger people have severe symptoms, we, we treat them. Having said this, about half of America has taken the vaccine, about mm -hmm. 65% of our seniors. And I'm hopeful that our, our seniors who did take the vaccine that they do have some modicum of protection. We know it's not gonna be much, uh, but it may just take enough of the edge off the syndrome to make it easier to treat. I can tell you my professional experience now, I am treating COVID-19 patients. That is my perception that the vaccine may make it a little bit easier to treat at the beginning, which is wonderful. Okay. Wow, sir, you've, uh, <laughs> I know I'm gonna talk to you for another hour or so, but I know your, your time is limited. If someone wanted to get in contact with you for further questions or for the study, um, how can they do that? Uh, go ahead and go to America Out Loud, the McCullough Report, America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report, and there's an opportunity to enter in the comment box. And I think that's the best way to go. It's also a good way to go to, to get updated on what's going on with COVID-19 uh, because it's a worldwide problem and I'm one of the few media doctors who also sees patients and does research. And I'm communicating with my colleagues all over the world. When you turn on major media right now, there's no window to the outside world. You'd never see how a doctor in, 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 in Malaysia or South America or Mexico or Argentina, how they're managing COVID-19. It's really important. It's a worldwide problem. Innovation comes from all over the world and I'm out there to get it. 
Thank you so much for your time, sir. Thank you so much for being on the show. You just heard the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, Jim Stroud wants to hear from you. Contact him at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And while you're at it, share this podcast and spread the word that it's up to us to save America. 